You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Manowar, and I've got a fascinating guest on the show today by the name of Mark Evans. Mark is going to talk to us about how to get your customers' attention by telling powerful stories. The truth is, getting attention is harder than ever. Everyone's busy. Everyone's stretched thin. There's so much noise out there. And so if you're talking about your brand and you're talking about your service or your product or your process or your team, nobody cares, okay? Nobody cares, nobody's paying attention. The only way to get their attention is by crafting powerful stories, by crafting a powerful narrative that pulls them in, gets their attention, engages them in a conversation, and then makes them interested in what you have to offer. And Mark is going to show us how to do all of that in today's interview. Before I let you get to the interview, I've started a daily marketing podcast. Outside of this one, I've got a new daily show. It's called Marketing Out Loud, where every single day for about five minutes a day, I share a tip, a story, an insight, or something that I'm learning in my experience building my own marketing practice and helping my clients grow their consulting or professional services businesses. I think you're gonna like it. Go to your favorite podcast player, search for Marketing Out Loud, Hit subscribe, and while you're at it, leave me a rating and a review, and I'd really appreciate it. With that, here is Mark Evans. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So why don't you get the ball rolling for us by telling us a little bit about your background? Well, it's a very background. I started originally as a reporter. Uh, originally, I started doing sports reporting in Brampton, which is just outside of Toronto. And then eventually got into tech reporting with the Globe and Mail, Bloomberg, and the National Post. And just around the dot-com boom, I got approached by a friend of mine who asked me if I wanted to do a startup. At the time, everybody seemed to be becoming millionaires, and he promised that we'd be millionaires. So I said, sure, why not? Well, turned out that we didn't become millionaires, but it was a great learning experience. And I, um, it was the start of my entrepreneurial career. I did go back to journalism for five years with the National Post, and then I came out again when I got poached by a VC to work for a blogging startup. We had a, we had a couple hundred blogs that we were trying to um, attract advertising for. And then uh, did a couple more startups, and then in 2008, I got laid off by a startup. Uh, wasn't sure what I was going to do. Didn't think I was going to go back to journalism. So I just uh, announced that I'd lost my job and I got a gig as a help somebody build a marketing plan. And that was the uh, that was the start of my consulting career, sort of uh, from one end of the spectrum to the other. It's been a, it's been an interesting tra- journey along the way. Now, before you got that initial kind of marketing plan consulting gig, did you identify as a marketer at all? Not at all. No, I was uh, I was a reporter when I was working for startups. I was more of a communications community person. So all my experience was mostly around creating content. I didn't have that much experience with marketing. And to be honest with you, when I got the marketing gig, the first thing I did was do a Google search for how to create a marketing plan. Um, And I really I really faked it until I made it. Um, And that's and I, I sort of learned along the way. I think like a lot of people. Um, who do marketing, you learn by doing. As much as you can go to school, um, a lot of my uh, 
um, experience has just been stuff that I've learned along the way. And it's been it's been grounded in storytelling, which is what I what I was as a reporter. Yeah, I feel like now it's the line between journalism and marketing is pretty clearly drawn. Like people see people see the value in having a journalism background and that the skills are very transferable now that content marketing, inbound marketing is all the rage. But was it like that when you were making that transition? A little bit. I mean, uh, blogging was just sort of emerging um, at the time. And if you could write, uh, it meant that you could be a pretty pro prolific blogger. So I guess we were starting to see content in some way, shape or form uh, become sort of an online phenomena. But I don't think it was really until the rise of social media that the skills of a journalist really became um, more valuable. Uh, and which was interesting because at the time, you know, journalism was under a lot of a lot of pressure um, and journalists were losing their jobs. And then what's happened is content marketers, um, brands have, have really embraced content marketing and they're hiring journalists. So it's things seem to have balanced out in the scheme of things. So you you're a former journalist. You got your first gig in the marketing space. You Googled how to how to build a marketing plan. And then yeah. You deliver that and presumably you do a great job. At what point do you realize hey, I've got an entire consulting business on my hands here. So it was probably about six months in, and I got really lucky because early on, I got a like a pretty good consulting gig with a startup called Sysmos, which was doing social media um, search at the time, monitoring at the time. And that sort of gave me a solid foundation to get going. The reality of is when you start a consulting business is that, or any business for that matter, is that the first year is often the toughest because no one really knows who you are. You're really not sure what, what you're doing. And so a lot of people really scramble to survive. And if you can, you can, if you can survive the first year, uh, then you're on your way. And I was lucky that like almost like three months in, I had my first real client. And, um, and that's when I said, yeah, this consulting thing is, is for me. So what, what was your, what would you say saved you in that first year? What, what was your saving grace? I think, well, I, I, when I look back, I think the biggest thing was I, I hustled. I really um, put my head down and uh, like worked my connections and developed my story and, and tried to see what was sellable. Um, and I drank a lot of coffee um, <laughs> early day. I would come back completely nauseous, uh, you know, three or four coffee meetings until I realized that maybe I didn't have to drink coffee. But I think it was the idea that, you know, if you're if you're gonna make it, you really have to work it. Um, no one's gonna give you anything. Like, you're not gonna get all these consulting gigs magically appear, so, and, and, and you don't have any referrals. Like, no one knows you, so no one's gonna dr drive um, work to you. So I would say I was pretty relentless in terms of trying to make it work, because once I realized that there was life beyond the cubicle, I decided I didn't wanna go back. Um, so I, I really, uh, invested the time and effort to, to see if I could make a go of this consulting thing. Now, I, I know we talked about this in a previous conversation and you were, you were telling me how, how firmly you believe even until now, I think in, in terms of having those direct networking relationships and going out, meeting people for coffee and kind of doing the, 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 the networking grunt work, if you will, that may come as a surprise to people because you're somebody who obviously is a journalist, you've got a background in writing, you're a marketer, you're a storyteller. You know, one might assume that your bread and butter is, you know, inbound marketing and, and, and writing blog posts and creating content, which I know you do. I'm curious to hear why you still think that that, you know, boots on the ground kind of networking is still so vital. 
Well, I think that people who depend on, on digital communications, there's so much noise out there. Like everybody's producing really good content and everybody's writing newsletters and making videos. And it's hard to break through the noise, to be honest with you. I mean, even though you might be really good at it, um, it's really hard to establish real connections um, because you're competing against everybody else. And what I found is that when I get in a situation like a real world situation, whether it's going to a conference or a meetup or just meeting people for coffee, is that you get the chance to talk about what you do and and how you add value. And, and the person on the other side can do the same thing. And, and you do establish a connection. Even if you only meet somebody once uh, in in person, you've got that connection for a long, long time. And, and you know, over the last like the, over the last month, um, when people started coming back from vacation, I've really made a concerted effort to have a lot of um, coffee meetings. And I, I, it's made a huge difference. It, it's always, I don't know, for whatever reason, it really surprises me, uh, but it shouldn't because I think that business happens in the real world. Like those connections happen when you're, when you're meeting people, not when you're tweeting at them or sending them a, a weekly newsletter. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That, that's been my experience as well. And I think what people need to realize is consulting services are not bought and sold based on content. Right. Nobody reads a blog post and says, I want to hire this person as a consultant. <laughs> right. Yeah at, yeah. at best, they consume a piece of content or they find you on social media and they say, hey, I'd, I'd love having a conversation with this person. And then it's yeah. through that conversation or a series of conversations that they might end up buying. But that's really the the missing piece that a lot of people, I think, tend to forget. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, when I look at my blog, it doesn't get a lot of traffic, but I think what it does is is positions me as someone who has some interesting ideas, who's sort of um, exploring new things. And it maybe makes people curious about who is this person behind the blog? And that'll get them to make a phone call or, do, or send an email. Um, so I, I, yeah, I agree with you that content may not be the like a deal maker, but it, it helps along the way. And then you can close deals um, when you talk to someone on the phone or you meet them for coffee. And then, I, I mean, this has certainly been my experience. I'm curious to hear what your perspective is. But I found that when you go into that meeting, whether it's a coffee meeting or, or an intro call or whatever it may be, and you have content as a credibility shield and the prospect has consumed a little bit of your stuff and they've gotten a sense of where you're coming from, how you're thinking, you come in at a much higher level authority um, and, and it's much easier to get into that conversation. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's because uh, people like perceptions reality. So when people read a piece of content that is thought provoking or interesting, then there, there's a mindset that they get locked into. And the other thing that I think is really interesting from a content perspective is video. Um, I've started to use it more because I think when people see you like on a video, they get a sense of who you are. They get a sense of your personality. They get a sense of, they almost decide whether they like you or not. Um, and I think in some respects that can be, that can be interesting so that when you do meet them in real life, they almost feel like they know you already. Um, so combine that with content and, um, and sort of you, you've almost got, you've got everything on your side to establish a relationship or close a deal. I'm a big believer in video. I've got my video course out. I know you've got yours out now, which we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, I don't do nearly enough of it, but now that you brought it up, I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective on live video and um, I don't know what you call it, but I guess it's not necessarily live video, but things like Snapchat, Instagram stories. What's what's your take on all this? 
I mean, there's a lot of video content out there. So everybody's excited about Facebook Live these days, which is great if you can get an audience. Otherwise, you're just sort of speaking into the wind. So if you have a, a brand following or if you have a specific niche that you can get people to rally around, then I think that live video can be can be really effective. It can be very topical and current. Um, video in general, I think, is is great for obviously SEO, but I think I think video is easier to consume. Um, you know, writing content, reading content takes takes a lot of work, and people are very. Um, we live in an instant gratification world these days, so they may not want to invest even in good content. So I think the video is really aligned with how people like to consume content. It has to be quick, it has to be accessible, it has to be digestible, um, and then they move on from there. Because I really think that they have they, they give you so little time you need to take advantage of the time that you've got. Yeah, I mean, the person that I really look to when it comes to video, I mean, social media in general, but video especially is Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, you know, obviously now Gary's got like a <laughs> entire production team that follows him around with a camera everywhere he goes. But conceptually, what he's doing is not terribly complicated, right? You got, no. you know, five to 10 pieces. I mean, he's doing a lot more, but you could easily get started with five to 10 pieces of short video content on Snapchat or on now. I think what's what's a more viable platform is Instagram. And and you're really just documenting your day and your experiences and, and giving advice through that. It's not you're not going out of your way to set up a studio and record a video. You're really just, you know, doing your work, living your life and documenting that along the way. And I think that's that's a powerful thing. Yeah, that, I mean, it's, it is pretty amazing. Like like when I've been creating my videos uh, recently, um, what I've what I've been doing is just I've been using my iPhone, you know, forget about using like a like a video camera or DSLR um, you get like, I have an iPhone six and it takes perfectly good videos. I've got a, a lab mic that I hook up to it because sound quality is really important. And then I downloaded this little app, um, for the iPhone called movie pro. And it sort of allows you to frame your video properly. Um, and uh, you can adjust the sound and there's filters and you combine like three, like really like fairly inexpensive tools, really easy to use tools. And all of a sudden you're a videographer. Like I've got a white, I've got a whiteboard in my office that I use as a background and that's it. Like, like the, it's easier than ever to get into video. Um, and I think that's why I think entrepreneurs and consultants and people like you and I should be leveraging it like in a, in a really big way. Absolutely. So listen, Mark, let's jump into the topic of storytelling. Um, now, I know you're a big believer in storytelling. I know your new course is about storytelling and it's something that you, you focus a lot on in your consulting practice. Could you kind of make the pitch as to why, as a business owner, uh, we need to be taking storytelling very seriously? So we live in a, in a very competitive world. People have short attention spans if they're paying attention at all. And if you're not, if you're not telling people, um, you're not creating things that they find interesting or intriguing or thought-provoking, otherwise known as stories, then they don't pay attention. Um, you know, they, people spend, what do they say? four seconds to see if your website makes makes sense to them or is relevant to them. And so you've got to get them, you got to get them with something that they can, that they can sort of rally around. And inherently, we as humans love stories. I mean, from the time we're children to the time we're adults, it's all about storytelling. It's what captivates us at what it's what makes us um, pay attention. It's how we learn. Um, and so we're, we're, we're geared for it. We're absolutely geared for it so that any brand really has to sort of leverage the power of storytelling, 
um, as a way to drive marketing, to drive sales, even to drive customer service. It's just it's just fundamental. And and, you know, I sometimes waver about the power of storytelling because I sometimes think that it's it may be overhyped. You know, storytelling is everywhere these days. But whenever I sort of think, well, maybe maybe I should back off storytelling. I just come right back to it because that's the way that people communicate and 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 clients are like my, my clients always come to me and they're always looking for better stories so you know it can be framed in different ways but it's it's a very powerful medium so i find there's two ways you can look at that from a from a business perspective and i'm curious which way you're coming at it from on the one hand there's the story of your brand and you and your company and on the other hand there's stories of the clients and the people that you help. What are we talking about here? I think I think it's both. Um, so the the common denominator uh, when it comes to any kind of storytelling is that it has to be aligned with the interests of the audience. So storytelling for the sake of storytelling doesn't work if you're not um, meeting the, the interests of what of not telling people what people want to hear, right? So so there are. Um, stories to be told about your company, your brand, your executives, and that that's great. And, and people like those kind of stories. But there are also stories that can be told about your customers, stories about their experiences and, and how they benefit from from using your product. Like how does how does using your product change their life professionally or personally? Um, and then there are stories about uh, the things that your audience is is thinking about so it could be you know key trends or new tools or um, or the news that's happening and so you can integrate your brand into those kind of things and have different types of storytelling different approaches to storytelling um, that are all very customer centric and that's the key is it has to be customer centric it has to meet their needs um, otherwise they won't pay attention so where do you begin to identify what kind of stories that are going to resonate with the audience or with the prospect? So uh, for a brand, it really depends on the stage there's the, at which they're at. So if it's an early stage company, they don't have a lot of stories about customers or, or they so they really want to focus on um, what they're doing and what they think. So that's your that's, that's your starting point. And then as a as a brand gets um more momentum, then they can focus on their customers. Then they can leverage the media to tell stories for them. Then they can leverage their customers to tell stories about them. So it really depends where you're at. Um, and and to be honest with you, um, companies can tell stories at every like at every different stage. They can tell stories about uh, their products. They can tell stories about their customers. They can tell stories through the media. It doesn't. You're not necessarily um, locked into one type of storytelling. In fact the more kinds of stories you tell, the more effective they are. Now, are there certain kind of building blocks that you have to have in place regardless of what kind of story you're telling and what platform you choose to be telling it on? Yeah, I mean, so 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 fundamentally, it, it has customer centric, but you really have to know your customers. So that means that you have to know your target audience is inside out. You know, what are they interested in? Where do they get content? How do they do research? How do they make purchases? Um, do they use social media? Do they watch television? Um, do they watch videos? I mean, you have to know them inside out. And then you have to create buyer personas, which are sort of very specific um, types of customers that you can really focus on. Because you may have a group of customers that look and feel the same, but there are slight variations in who they are and 
some customers may have children, some may not, some may live in the country and some may live in the city. They kind of look the same, but they're not, they're not the same. And so your stories have to be tailored for them and their specific interests. And then you, once you have a story that you want to tell, then you have to figure out where to tell it. So what channels do you use? What channels do you not use because your audiences aren't there or the people that you're, who don't matter aren't there. And then once you sort of have that in mind, then you can really focus and prioritize your storytelling. So I feel like we need an example. Can, can you think of a, a real world example, whether it's one that you've worked on or not, um, that could kind of make this tangible for folks to understand what what this kind of storytelling looks like? Right. So let's look at um, let's look at uh, GoPro as an example. OK, so GoPro, uh, they make uh, rugged video cameras. Um, but the stories that they tell are all on video. I mean, it's, it makes sense. They're a video companies, so why not leverage video? Um, and so they will highlight the experiences of their customers on video because their target audiences are big users of video. They're big consumers of video. And so it just it's, it's just natural alignment that they, they'll be where their customers are. So they'll create videos, and then they'll showcase the videos that their, their customers are making. Um, like another really good brand uh, is is Airbnb. Um, you know, Airbnb advertises on billboards, but a lot of their a lot of their stories are very personal. Um, so they'll, for example, have a magazine because their target audiences are travelers and they tend to read magazines. Um, they um, they tend to focus a lot on case studies, both you know, and online. So they've got the case studies in the magazine, but they also have them online, um, and they use video. Um, because their their target audiences use video, so it's 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 really about sort of finding out how your consumers um, behave in terms of how they consume information is, and be in the places where there are. It's like the whole adage is you party where the party's happening, right? Um, and a lot of companies, um, the mistake they make is they spread themselves too thin. You know, they they put a little bit of effort into where their target audiences are, and then they put a little left, bit of effort into where their target audiences aren't. And they never get the impact that they want because they're they're spread too thin. So here's a common obstacle I get from folks in the professional services and consulting space is that a it, they find it. Um, well, I think ultimately they're afraid to ask their clients to go on camera. And secondly, um, you know, the, the traditional form of, of case study in kind of the B2B space is, is a written case study, right? So writing up a case study and then going up, going to the client and getting a statement, I mean, that's the traditional way of doing things. Getting them on camera, on video is not traditional. And I think a lot of people are just afraid to, to make that request. What would you say to that? Um, well, first off, as an old adage is don't ask, don't ask, don't get, right? So if you don't ask them, they're never going to do it. And so the thing about case studies is that you you want to focus on people who believe in your product, they believe in your brand, they love dealing with you. And so that makes the ask a lot easier because um, they may reject you, but they're going to be nice about it. Um, the other thing is to frame the case study in a way that makes sense for them. So if they're being successful in their use of your product, then you can basically frame it as a win-win, is that you get to showcase their success and they get to celebrate their success. And so that way, there's no downside for them. It's, it's, it's everybody wins. And I guess the final thing would be to establish the rules of engagement. So for example, with a video, you'd say, okay, listen, we wanna do a video uh, case study. Um, we know that you're, you're really getting a lot of uh, good value from our product. 
how do you feel about that? Well, that sounds kind of interesting. Okay, here's the deal. We'll come in, um, we'll do the video, we'll show you the video before it is, is published. You get complete editing rights in terms of content that you, um, that you don't want to be seen. Um, you know, we'll, if you need to get legal approval, we'll wait for that. Like you make it really easy for them to feel comfortable about the fact that they're not gonna be embarrassed um, there's not going to be, they're not going to say anything that their boss might be mad about uh, and that you, you make it, um, user-friendly so that they want to do it, right? They're excited about the opportunity and they're, and you, elim you sort of eliminate any of the concerns they might have. And if you follow the steps, um, then you, you'll find that your customers like talking to you. They like talking about you if they're happy customers. And I think that's, that's one thing that I think a lot of brands need to remember is that, that if you do talk to your customers, your, your customers will talk to you and they'll do it. Uh, very enthusiastically. Yeah, and I think a, a, a nice meta a meta way to explain the importance of storytelling is that when you make that ask, you're effectively telling a story to the customer, and you want to make it the request in a way that um, you know that's that's going to align with their story and where they're going to see themselves as the hero because that's ultimately what's happening in a case study, right? Is you're you're telling the story of the work you did to help a client, but who looks good in the end? Sure, you look good, but from their perspective, they look good, right? They hired you, they do the work, they're responsible for the outcome, and they end up looking good both to their competitors, to their coworkers, to their superiors in the company. Like they're the hero in their minds. Yeah, and the thing about you know making a purchase for customers making a purchase is that they they're the first thing they they don't want to make a mistake, right? They don't want to be seen. Well, I should have picked I picked competitor A, and I should have picked B. You know, their sales collateral was really slick. And so there, the initial thing is there's a little bit of trepidation once they enter into a relationship until they start to see the benefits and the value. But once they, they, they're successful um, and they really understand that they made the right decision, then, then the, the tone changes, right? The relationship has a different dynamic. And what you need to do as a brand is to leverage that, is to recognize the people who love you, who are, in a sense, your, your evangelists. And, and put them into the spotlight, like make them, as you say, make them look like heroes so that they can, their stature can be increased and, and create that win-win scenario so that, that everybody looks good. That's an interesting way to look at it. Would you say that if a client uh, declines the case study request for, you know, without a, a, a legitimate reason otherwise, would you say that maybe there was something lacking in your service delivery? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I think that um, it could be uh, competitive issues. They don't want to tell the competition that they're using the product. It could be um, maybe these kind of requests don't go through legal lawyer. If they have a, if they have lawyers on staff or or lawyers at their at their disposal, the lawyers. Uh, what I found is they tend to say lean towards no because it means that there's there's less risk involved. Um, it could be that um, they've never done one before and. You're, you're the first person to ask them and they're not ready. Um, so I wouldn't take it as a negative. I mean, as I say, you're trying to focus on the customers that are getting value. So they're predisposed to like you. It just may not be something they're comfortable with. And so it doesn't know if they say no for now, it doesn't mean they'll say no uh, later. Um, and so you just you just work the relationship. And, and if, if you're a company with lots of customers, you'll find like you don't need a lot. You need two or three or four um, customers to say yes. And you're and you're on your way. So in terms of brand storytelling, Mark, I know the one the one question that we all get um, and 
surprisingly, no matter how many times we get asked this question, many of us still freeze like like a deer in the headlights. Um, and that question is, what do you do? I know you've got a course out on this, and I want to get to that in a minute. But if you could give us kind of the quick high-level overview, how do you approach answering that question? So you have to be very clear, and you have to be very direct. So my what do you do is I help fast-growing companies grow even faster um, by creating marketing that actually works. So that's my that's my stock what do you do answer. Now, it took a long time it's, to cr- develop that answer. It sounds now when I say it, hopefully it sounds fairly fairly straightforward, but you know, it's, it's, you have to invest the time to um, communicate very clearly, like, what do you do? Who do you serve and why it matters? And if you can, if you can get those three things, then you've got the foundation for a good, so what do you do answer? And I think um, a lot of people stumble because they try to tell too much or they, they, they're not completely clear about what they do. And so they leave people confused and want and they need to ask more questions to get to the heart of what's really what you really do and and that that's a conversation killer so let's do mine let's let's break okay. it down and i don't like mine so feel free to <laughs> feel free to take out the hatchet um so my my answer is i help professional services and consulting firms build actionable marketing plans so they can generate more leads and win more business pretty good the only the only thing that I would say, what does actionable marketing plans mean? That's the only like, the, the front, the front the beginning and the end are good. But the actual marketing plans is well, what is like I would have to ask you my follow up question would be, well, what do you mean by actual marketing plans? So it's not a bad thing because it means that you I'm intrigued. It just means that I'm not totally clear. But but I'll give you like a, a minus uh, for your what do you do? Um, because like you don't want to tell everybody everything, but yours is pretty good. Yeah, and so that's one of the questions I like getting. I don't, and I don't get that follow up question too much. So I think you're right. There's something that's a little bit. Um, it leaves a little bit to be desired. But that's the question I want to get because what I'm saying there is, uh, what we do is we build plans that are somewhere in between. Uh, they're in between, a, a, you know, a really long exercise where you're you're stuck in the boardroom and you're whiteboarding. And you're not getting anything done. We don't want to do that, right? But at the same time, we don't want to fly by the seat of our pants and and not have any marketing strategy in place whatsoever, right? So we want to do, because my, my target is professional services and consulting firms on the small side. They're boutique firms, right? They don't have, you know, a huge marketing department to sit around right. and pontificate around, oh, what should we do now, right? So the goal is do as much as you need to do to begin executing, because if you don't execute, there's no point. So that's right. what I mean by actionable marketing plans. Right. And so the key to a good what do you do answer is getting people to ask you more questions. So they could say, well, uh, what do you mean by that? Or how does it work? Because you don't want to sort of reveal everything right away. Like you don't want to go on for five minutes, explain your different services and your different products because people will, their eyes will glaze over and they'll move on to somebody else. So what you want to do is you want to tease them a little bit, right? You want to say, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, And then they'll naturally ask you another question. So explain to me your services. So when you say actual marketing plans, what does that involve? And then you've got an opportunity to then tell them more. And hopefully, you know, they ask more questions, you provide more answers, and then you're 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 into a conversation. Um, So it's a real, it's a real, it's something you really got to work on. But when you have a good one, um, it can be a real opportunity opener. Absolutely. So now tell me a little bit about the course that you worked on to help folks do this. 
So because I ran into so many situations where people were terrible with the, so what do you do question, it was painful to hear them, um, that I developed this free course uh, that involves six videos and a template. And the template is, is really user-friendly. So as you watch the videos, you follow the template to basically um, focus on you know, what value does your product deliver, um, who should use it, and how are you unique or different? And those are the sort of the basic pillars that all you have to focus on. And like, as I said, we're not gonna create an essay. It's not long-winded, it's very short. It's probably about 10 to 15 seconds. And if you can you know, really be focused on those three things, um, then your answer is gonna be really tight. It's gonna be really engaging. And hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll um, get people to ask more questions and that's all you want. You wanna be understood and you, and, you, and you want those follow-up questions. Excellent, Mark, anything uh, that you think is important to mention here about storytelling before we wrap up? So, um, as I said earlier, you know, it's, it has to be very customer-centric, so it's all about them, it's not about you. Um, you know, you have to know where they consume stories so that um, you're partying where the party happens. Um, and then you, you basically have to um, monitor all that activity and making sure that your storytelling is actually working. Because often, you know, story, your stories have to change because the landscape changes or you have new competitors or some stories work better than others. Um, so it's, you're constantly sort of tweaking the dials to make sure that your story is, storytelling is on and it's resonating. And if you can do that, I think your storytelling is probably in pretty good shape. Yeah, no, that sounds like great advice. Mark, if folks want to look you up or take the course, where can they do that? So they can go to, for the course, they can go to www.growevenfaster.com and you'll find the free course, which is called StorySpark. And there are also two other paid courses. One's called Brand Expansion. The other was Brand Reboot. And if they want to find out what I do, you can go to Mark Evans, M-A-R-K-E-V-A-N-S dot C-A. Great. We're going to have links to all of that in the show notes to this episode. Mark, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step -step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening.